If stretching the piriformis is your go-to treatment for deep buttock pain, you may want to rethink that. Listen to today's podcast to learn Dr. Sarah Duvall's approach for more significant and effective results. Hello, friends. This is Lynn Schulte, and you are listening to the Birth Healing Summit podcast. We are here for meaningful conversations that will transform the way you work with pregnant and postpartum clients. Whether it is a new perspective, tool, or technique, you'll be able to implement it into your practice today. I invite you to sit back, listen with an open mind, and grab the golden nugget today's guest has to offer. Now let's get started. Today, we are so blessed to have with us Dr. Sarah Duvall. Sarah is a physical therapist and owner of Core Exercise Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me, Lynn. Well, Sarah and I are excited today because we're going to be talking about the piriformis, resolution of piriformis pain and tension. And so, Sarah, let's start off with understanding what are some of the signs and symptoms that we might be dealing with the piriformis in in dysfunction? Yeah, absolutely. So the piriformis is one of those things that can be really, really nagging. And you can have anything from compression of the static nerve and static type of symptoms all the way to, wow, my butt hurts. It feels really tight on road trips after sitting for a while or after a run, or I constantly feel like I have to stretch it or sit on a lacrosse ball. And and I also think that when we take a look at the piriformis, it can be a little bit confusing because people just assume any butt pain is piriformis pain Mm -hmm. when in reality, the piriformis is often the cause, but it is not always the cause. So we've got a lot of deep hip rotator muscles. So I'm really excited. The exercises that I'm going to share in the summit, which I'm so excited about, they will help with all deep hip rotator pains, not just piriformis pain. Okay, cool. So even if it's not, um, because I think we think anybody who has sciatica or any deep pain in there, our first goal to is is piriformis. But you're saying that there might be other issues, but it really doesn't matter as long as we do different exercises, right? To get down exactly to- in my world, in my world, I'm going to look at movement, and we're going to talk about that, and then I'm going to work on cleaning up movement, kind of looking for strength deficits, things like that. So then, you know, in reality, it's it's we're going to dive into this, but in reality, it, it probably doesn't matter the exact muscle, which is kind of almost a little bit of a relief in a way coming from our profession where we have to, you know, be so good with diagnostics. And at the end of the day, we might not even know exactly um, what's causing that tension in there. But as long as we know how to get rid of it, that's the helpful part. Okay, that's pretty. So now whenever we have that deep hip pain, uh, our first go to is let's stretch it. Is that, <laughs> is that the right action to go? Yeah. Is that the right direction or what? So I think that you are correct in thinking that most people go straight towards stretching for piriform. They're like, oh, my piriformis hurts. It's tight. I've got to stretch it. I've got to sit on a ball. And stretching can be awesome for a part of a treatment plan. So I don't want to just completely throw stretching out the window and, you know, be like, oh, stretching is horrible. Don't ever do it. So I think that stretching and release work in general can be really great for down-regulating the nervous system, can be really great for helping the muscle kind of calm down, relax a little bit, and that can be part of the process. But I often see people where stretching is their only treatment, and then they end up doing things like clams, which then directly work external rotation again. And it's like, well, no wonder you're not kicking this performance issue. So I really like to look at the cause. And for me, I often see piriformis as being a bigger issue. So the piriformis is just a symptom 
and it's not the cause of the issue. So it's just kind of where the issue is coming out, which is why it's kind of irrelevant or whether or not it's the piriformis or the obturator internus or any of the other deep hip rotators is because they're just simply a symptom of what's happening with that kind of greater kinetic chain. Yeah. Okay. So wait a minute. I want to just go back there because I know uh, some people listening in will be like, well, what's wrong with clams? I mean, stretching <laughs> and strengthening. That's what we do as PTs, right? <laughs> so piriformis, I think figure four stretch, you know, and then yeah, clams for strengthening. So what's wrong with that mindset? Well, so I like to think about resetting a system for the most optimal way of moving. And so if our go-to isn't to take the stress off of the piriformis, because I often find the piriformis is overworking. So then when we go to do those clams, we're just working the piriformis more. And we're like, wait a second. I mean, sure, that's great to get it stronger. And yet it might need to get stronger. But why don't we start by layering on taking off the stress, spreading the work to the other muscles, to completely getting down the irritation, then we strengthen external rotation. Got it. Okay, so there's other steps that we have to do before we actually go to the actual strengthening. At least I like to think so, which which usually when I bring people back around to that external rotation strengthening, they're happy. Their deep hip rotators are happy. Their performance is happy and it's ready to get stronger. So how do we know when it's not happy? Well, it usually causes pain and discomfort and tightness. Okay, so when, when they're doing the exercise or doing the stretch, it's like, ow, that's not feeling good. For a Maybe, or they feel it later, or you do you do release work and stretching, and then you add in clams, and they feel pretty good from the release work and stretching, but then they go run, or they do their normal workout program, and then they're right back with butt tightness again, and then they come back in for treatment because your treatment helped, but it never got rid of the problem, and so I've seen people with chronic pier- piriformis or deep hip rotator tightness or irritation that lasts sometimes for years. Right. Because like you said, we're dealing with the symptom and not the cause. We're dealing with the symptom. Yeah. And so the stretching and the direct strengthening of the irritated muscle is dealing with that symptom. Well, that's, you know, when I'm working in the body, I never go towards the pain. I always go towards the the restriction, the what Mm -hmm. can't move. And so when we're looking at the pelvis and we're looking at this deep hip rotator stuff, I'm imagining that the pelvis has something to do with it. So how does the orientation of the pelvis impact the piriformis and and possibly contribute to some of this piriformis pain? Yeah. Well, and that's something I would love to help maybe be a little bit eye-opening with how we cue exercise with maybe an anterior orientation or more of a posterior orientation. So people who spill forward or people who tuck under, because I find that sometimes their piriformis pain can be coming from slightly different causes. But I also want us to take a step back and think about hypermobility. Um, so oftentimes we have our pregnant and post, newly postpartum patients are the ones with the most piriformis irritation and most deprivated irritation. So we think about that role of stability in the pelvis and how hard that muscle is working to stabilize. And right. then that's another reason why we think about why we wouldn't want to stretch somebody who's dealing with new piriformis pain because of increased hypermobility. I mean, it's just when you wrap your mind around it that way, you're like, why would stretching ever be a solution for you know, a hypermobility problem. Well, that that's what, so you're saying that if someone's hypermobile, those piriformis muscles are gripping to try to- They're gripping, yeah, these are stabilizing because other muscles aren't helping as much as they should 
right. with the stability of the pelvis. So when you find those areas that need to be strengthened, that need to jump in more, maybe it's cueing, um, maybe it's recruitment. It's not always strength. Um, it can be strength, but it's not always. Sometimes it's just kind of waking something up and being like, hey, you can yeah. show up and you can help more. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, this feels amazing. Right. So if someone is gripping, you know, to find stability, are they more into that posterior tuck, that that butt tucking under position? Yeah. So I, I usually think about these and I see it kind of in stages. So if I, somebody's got an anterior tilt, more of an anterior tilt where they're kind of spilling forward, I generally see that more in somebody who's like, uh, maybe a distance runner or maybe a heavy lifter, more somebody who's more on the athletic kind of profile you're thinking. Um, they're going to maybe have tighter paraspinals, maybe tighter TFL. And then the piriformis tension tends to be more kind of on one side and tends to be more of maybe rotation oriented. Um, maybe they're gripping that one side, but I generally see that posterior pelvic tilt where somebody is clenching and tucking bilaterally and maybe one side does hurt more than the other. Yeah. Um, but they tend to have that bilateral tuck. And that to me is like another stage of instability where they are really gripping to try to hold that stability through their pelvis. Okay. This, this is kind of reminding me of what I find with the op- what I coined the open birthing pattern, where those ischial bones are splayed open from birth, the pelvic floor muscles are on stretch. And if we don't address the bony alignment first, we and we try to get rid of the tension in the pelvic floor muscles, their pain gets worse. Yeah. So we've got to address, I love this approach of addressing the root cause and not just trying to get the muscles to behave, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah, exactly. mus- muscles will behave when things are working properly. And well, I feel like it's, yeah, it's like a friendship, you know, where you, yes. you give them support. <laughs> You help them instead of just being like, you need to get in line. You need to behave. Instead of being like, no, let me help you through this time. We can bring in other muscles to help instead of, you know, beating that muscle into submission. Right, right. Okay. And so what do we do, Sarah? What is So we know that the the posterior tilt is maybe over gripping. The, the deep hip rotators are trying to stabilize. What do we do instead to help someone with that? Yeah. So that is a great question. And for the summit, I have set up kind of my talk. I've got a PowerPoint presentation um, laid out where I'd like to talk through the stages of where I like to work people through and why. Mm -hmm. Um, So if it's okay with you, I'd love to save that for the summit talk. But I do, what I want to highlight here is I want to talk about one specific exercise that I feel like is one of the those most common exercises that everybody does, and then talk about kind of the different cueing uh, that we need for a posterior pelvic tilt or an anterior pelvic tilt. And what I'm hoping, I've just seen within the clinic, it can be very challenging. You know, you give somebody an exercise and you walk away to work on notes. So what I really want to highlight here is the minutia of being able to cue little things that are completely going to change what that person's recruiting. Okay. What do we need to be looking for? Let's take a look at bird dogs. I mean, we'll take a metaphorical look since we're on a podcast, but (laughs) let's take a look at bird dogs because everybody knows what a bird dog is. Let's. So in case someone's listening in that doesn't, hands and knees, right? Yes. You're You're on your hands and knees, but your classic bird dog is going to be your opposite arm and leg lift on hands and knees. So if you have somebody who tends to be a gripper for stability, they're they're gripping the piriformis, they're gripping those deep hip rotators, then what's going to happen? They're going to go into that hands and knees position and they're immediately going to grip and they're going to hold their stability for their core and they're going to substitute it with their deep hip rotators. Okay. So what I would do with somebody who tends to be that gripper and tucker 
So wait, do do you mind me asking? So in that that bird dog position, are there is their pelvis going to be a little They're bit? They're going to be tucked. a little more tucked. Yeah, you're going to see their tailbone tucked. They're going to tuck a little bit more. And so, and you might think, oh, they're really engaging their abs, but they're not engaging their abs in a way that's stabilizing their pelvis well. They're doing it all with those deep hip rotators. For somebody like that, you're going to want to have them sit back, hinge a little bit, like sit back into their hips a little. You're going to want them to like wiggle their bottom around, maybe stick it out, maybe even do like some full on, like sitting back in the child's pose a couple of times just to really get some opening and lengthening back there. And making sure that they're staying in a more anterior tilt. Yes, as yes. making that, them right? kind of go into more of a neutral pelvis, almost to a slight anterior tilt, because yeah. the multifidi really like an anterior tilt over a posterior tilt. So we're going to be recruiting nice multifidi there, which will be great. And then once we can teach them how to let go, like kind of sitting back, opening that area in that bird dog, then they can suddenly find their abs. And I really like to have them think about wrapping around the front of their pelvis with their abs. So we're really thinking about finding those lower abs and utilizing those to really hold their pelvis in place so they can let go of those deep hip rotators. So, cause that, if someone is stuck in a posterior tilt it, because they've been gripping for so long, those muscles don't really know how to lengthen to allow that anterior tilt to happen at all. Yeah, And they're going to automatically grip for stability. So taking them in. So one thing we wanted for that substitution is we want to say, Hey, abs, you got to join in more. You got to stabilize this pelvis from the top. So the bottom can let go a little bit. And so this is such a great position to do that. Cause you can get that um, simultaneous lengthening of the deep hip rotators while you ask the abs to hold. So Sarah, what's happening to the abs then in that posterior pelvic tilt? Are we working more recti then? Like, because... Yeah, so which is such an interesting question. So when we think about our transverse abdominals, and even, I mean, they all do, so all the abs do a slight posterior tilt. But when we think about our movers versus our stabilizers, our rectus are really flexion posterior tilt muscles. Right. And so what I've found is that I'll often have to put towel rolls under people, even for things like dead bugs, you know, like working on stability abs on their back, because if they flex, if they bring their back all the way down to the ground and they flex, then they get more rectus dominant versus if you have that towel roll there helping to maintain that neutral spine, then you'll see more um, transverse abdominal activation. Sarah, can you quickly explain how some, are you just noticing by palpation that someone's more recti versus transverse? How do you, you differ- see it? I mean, the rectus just pops out. It okay. has that bread loaf appearance instead of that flat stinging kind of TA appearance. Yeah. Okay. So when, when recti is activating, then that pops up like a bread loaf. I love that mm-hmm. description because it's exactly what it is. It is exactly what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and then when TA, it's more flat and stays. Mm-hmm firm in that lower belly area. Okay. I like that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And then when somebody's dealing with an anterior tilt and more piriformis pain from like a pelvis rotation standpoint, you can take that same hands and knees position and you could maybe prop their knee up on the tight side on a little book. So it helps them shift into that particular hip more. Yeah. And so then that can really open up that side. And then you could do bird dogs from that kind of open shifted position. So you're teaching them to stabilize with that hip open and teaching their abs to work with that side of their hip open. Uh, And so that can be a cool, like the way we might change it from somebody with a posterior tilt to an anterior tilt and somebody with an anterior tilt, I might actually have them tuck a little bit because they've been sitting spilling forward and the piriformis is more gripping to control the spilling forward. 
versus the bilateral. Okay. So I'm, I want to back up a little bit because you're talking about rotation. So you're talking more anterior rotation of one side, correct? If that, yeah. So it can be more of an anterior, or you might see like a posterior rotation of that side, but only because it's being drugged there. Okay. By tight hamstring. By like a a piriformis or deeper rotators that are gripping and tight. And so when someone has a a one side anterior rotation, because we don't really know if we're just looking at their positionally, whether one's anterior or one's posteriorly, aren't they kind of relative to each other? Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's so interesting how we can change things with a little bit of gripping and tension. And then once you get rid of a little gripping and tension, something else comes out. (laughs) And so I tend to put more stock in like, oh, this is tight. This movement is restricted. So I would watch somebody squat in an anterior tilt and they, let's say that's their right piriformis. So when they sit down in a squat, you'll distinctively see them shift into their left hip. And they won't sit into that right side. And so then you're like uh, thinking, okay, I need to get them to sit into that right side. I need to teach that piriformis or those deep rotators how to lengthen, how to open. Okay. And so someone in that situation, then if you put them into bird dog, which leg would you have up on the book then? Whatever side is the tight piriformis side. Okay. So in your description, they really sit into that hip more. So in your uh, description, you were talking about the right side being tight and not being able yes, to. The, yeah, if the, if the right one's tight, then I might prop their right knee up just a little bit on like okay. maybe, you know, like a half an inch, not even like a big book, but just yeah. something so they can really own that opening position on that side. What does that do? What does that well, block do then to help you them? you got to feel it. It's okay. like a full hip shift. It's like you take the hip in the internal rotation. Okay. So where their piriformis and their deep hip rotators are gripping into external rotation, you're taking them more into an in internally rotated state. Okay. Oh, very and then the other thing I might do for somebody who's in a bilateral anterior tilt and gripping with that piriformis is I might help them find hamstrings on the wall. So if they back their bird dog up, so their feet are against the wall, and okay. then they pull up on the wall with their feet. So if you can picture that, then they turn on their hamstrings, yep. which then gives them some pelvis anchoring. And then can help provide stability. Okay. That gives you another source of stability with the apps. And so that can help when hamstrings turn on, that can help the piriformises kind of chill out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so are you with feet up against the wall in that bird dog position? No, I'm sorry. um, Dead bug position. Um, Or, Or bird dog position. Bird dog position. Yeah. So you, you back your, you back up to a wall. Oh, and then drag. they're just pushing. A hamstring drag on the wall with your feet, and then you can just lift your arms. Okay. Oh, got it. Okay. That's what I was wanting to do. Okay, great. Once we activate the hamstrings, then what? So then we're using arms or, yeah. Spreads, yeah, stability through the abs. Okay. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Well, what I love about this, Sarah, is that it, it really – we really need to be mindful of what's really going on and what substitutions and what's not happening at the certain joints and the movements to really give us the whole picture. It's not about just having someone go do bird dog, but it's about really looking to see how they're doing it. Yes. And then what we can help them change recruitment wise, especially if you've got something like the poor piriformis that gets blamed for everything. And it's like, this, yeah. oh, it's bully. But really, it's just we're putting it into a position where it's being asked to overwork. So what you've got to do is look at the person and say, okay, what position do I need to put them in to take some stress off of this muscle? Okay. And so is it is the the TA the kind of the stabilizer for the top of the pelvis that can help hopefully maybe make piriformis 
Yeah. And internal, external obliques and rectus. I mean, you're getting all your abs when you think about stability from the top of the pelvis, including multifidi. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm sure there's so much more we can go into here, um, but we're going to save a lot of that for the summit interview. So everybody, please make sure that you join us for the summit so Sarah can teach us even more exercises in regards to this. Any last little tidbit that you want to share with us about the piriformis um, before we say goodbye? In the podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm just excited for the summit interview. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I think what I really appreciate, Sarah, is that you really gave us some a really golden nugget that we can really take to the clinic tomorrow, today even. Go go try the bird dogs now on yourself and pretend you're in these different postures and try the different cueing and see how it feels. Absolutely. So, and and let's just real quickly, Sarah, talk about this new project that you're taking on that you're putting out into the world about practitioners actually having to go through the exercises themselves. Do you mind sharing about that? It's so fun. Thank you for bringing that up. So we are going to, you know, kind of go out on a different sort of limb here. And we are creating a program called Learning Through Application. And it is literally learning through application. So you're going to go through the workouts. You will earn continuing credit by doing the workout, feeling it on yourself. It's going to have lots of hand-holding. It's going to be geared toward those with pelvic floor dysfunction and um, diastasis recti. I mean, I ha- I went through pelvic floor dysfunction. You know, I could have used that hand-holding. I mean, so I feel like there's a lot of us that really need to set aside the time to work on ourselves. And we just don't do it because we're helping so many other people. So we wanted to create something that gave that like, no, you need to work on yourself. So <laughs> sign up for that and you will, you will go, we will work on yourself. It's It's for focusing on you. Well, I feel like that what's that's what makes us better clinicians is actually when we do have the problem and we can relate so much better to our clients and what their experience is. But you're right. I mean, being able to feel in our own bodies what these exercises are actually doing and feeling the shifts and the changes as we make those subtlety, the different cueing. If you don't get on the floor and try it, yeah, how are you gonna know when to use it? Right. And and that's why I think one of my greatest gifts is my ability to really feel my body, that interoceptive, knowing when muscles are kicking in or when they're not. And I've had issues down my right leg and it's like I do a squat and I'm like, ooh, that right side's not firing, you know, like, okay, let's how can I get that muscle kicking in more? And then I'm able to translate that into our my patient care better. And mm-hmm. so I really, really appreciate what you're doing there with this new course. It sounds fabulous. And I really encourage everybody to check it out because we really do need to be doing the work. I say we can't take people where we can't go ourselves. And if we oh, can't, that's good. Yeah. Where if we can't exercise and do these exercises ourselves, I think it's putting ourselves at a disadvantage to be able to better help our clients. So brilliant, brilliant idea there, Sarah. Thank you for creating. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, everybody, and listening into this podcast. And we will see you all on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Institute for Birth Healing. To discover more, visit instituteforbirthhealing.com. To claim $50 off of any online course, use coupon code PODCAST50 at checkout. Till next time, I'm Lynn Schulte, founder of the Institute for Birth Healing.